Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. For the rest of you, if you would open in your Bibles, please, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Jeremiah, chapter 29. Hallelujah. This is another one of those opportunities where your kids can get uh, Bible bucks. Again, parents, have a conversation with your kids. They'll learn more in church than you can ever imagine. So, praise the Lord. Father, we thank you today for looking at your word. We found, Father, that your word tells us that you watch over it to perform it. So, Father, as we discover what your word says, we know that it's your design to perform it. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last several weeks, we've talked about walking in God's awesome future. Again, I want to tell you the point so that you can go home with a little bit of, a, of an idea. But the Bible is completely full of descriptive terminology about how God designs our future. But remember, your future today began with yesterday's sowing, with yesterday's understanding. We literally cooperate with God in producing the awesome future that He says His Word brings. So when we give, we create part of the future. If you don't sow, you can't reap, right? Amen? And so you start to see all those things. We've been talking with that about that, and, and I'm going to introduce something to you today, and I need you to do your best to really pay attention to this, because this is a terminology and an idea that many of you may not have. So I want you to go home today with this understanding that throughout God's Word, He lays out what is called in the Bible precepts. Precepts are literally when God tells us how He orders the future. He will tell us that these kinds of things, you know. So, for example, the, the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount is, is full of precepts. It says, if you'll hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be filled. Well, if you'll hunger and thirst after it on this side, your future is full of satisfaction and fullness. Do you see that? So throughout the Bible, there are things called precepts. They're not laws. They're not technically commandments. They're really instruction on how God plans to order things. So for an example, in Matthew 6, verse 33, the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. God doesn't force you to seek first. When you make the choice, it puts in motion His plan to order the future. So if you'll see those things, and we'll start coming after those things, you'll recognize, wait a minute, God told us how to do this. And so in Proverbs chapter 29, we get a precept. This was written for Israel that was captive. God sent foreign nations... To, to capture Israel to fulfill the law that they could not or did not fulfill. Okay, that's the, that's the context. But he spoke into it a precept that's available to us. We aren't going to be punished for not fulfilling the law because Jesus was the fulfillment of that law. So God's not punishing people for not doing that. He sent Jesus to take our punishment. Amen? So, see, it's not for us like that. It's not to us in that sense, but it's for us in that this precept exists. So, notice in the 11th verse, it says, For I know, this is God talking to the 
to the people of Israel. He says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. God is not a respecter of individuals. If he knows the thoughts that he thought towards Israel, he knows the thoughts that he thinks towards you. If God knows the thoughts that he thought towards Israel, he knows the thoughts that he thinks towards you. See, God is not clueless. He knows what you need. He's thinking those things about you, towards you. Well, amen anyway. He says, I know what I think towards you, says the Lord. Now notice what he thinks about. These are precepts. God thinks about you being in peace. That's fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus when his, his, our sin was placed on him, our sickness was placed on him by the stripes, and his peace was given to us by the discipline that Jesus faced. We can see that that put into motion... He said, I think about you. Well, he sent Jesus to accomplish that. And now it's done forever and available to everyone. Right? So he didn't just think that about Israel. I mean, he did. That's what he's saying here. But when he thought about peace, he put that into motion. And as we accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we should accept the peace that he gives us. Amen? Are you, are you tracking with me on these precept things? These are not commandments. These are not rules. These are ideas. Basically, the idea of how God wants things ordered. It's really, really simple. Notice he says, I have thoughts of peace and not of evil. He did not design you for evil. He thinks about non-evil things towards you. Keep in mind that when he thinks that way, what he's showing you is you will never produce the righteousness of God through evil ways. The Bible actually tells us that you cannot produce the righteousness of God through anger, through wrath, through evil things. You can't. It's not possible. Because he set these precepts in order. Notice in this verse again, he says, to give you a future. Every one of you has a designed future that's been thought about by God. And you can say, wait a minute, I went through some ugly stuff. That's the key. You went through some stuff. You didn't stay there. If you're going through hell, don't stop. Amen? Amen? If the devil's pitching evil at you, refuse to catch it. Right? You don't, you don't have to. I, I was, it, stay on track, pastor. <laughs> to give you a future. But notice this last one. And a hope. And I'm going to show you in these precepts. And I'm going to give you some New Testament examples of these things. But I'm going to show you in these precepts how important hope is. He gave us a hope. Inside of each and every one of In fact, Ecclesiastes says that inside of, inside of man is, a, is a eternity. He says he puts eternity, chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, you can go look at maybe 12th verse. You can go look at that. But it says he put eternity in the hearts of man. He literally made a God-sized hole inside of you. And all we do is fill it with his hopes, what he thinks about it, what his word says to us. We fill that. Why? Because the substance of hope is now faith is. Now faith is the substance of hope. When you're filled with hope, you're ready for a now faith is moment. Amen? Well, I'll get into that, but let me give you the first one first. Okay? Here's precept number one. And this is a, this is a quote. There we go. God expects for us to live through our new creation identity. God expects for us. God deals with us 
whether we want to cooperate or not, he deals with us as he created us. Okay? A lot of people say, well, God doesn't ever speak to me. You're listening with the wrong ears. He'll speak to you in your new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, we are a new creation. In fact, put up the 16th and 17th verse, would you please, brother? It says, therefore, from now on, what's he talking about? From your born-again experience forward, what's he doing? He's setting up your future. Do you see it? This is a precept. From this point forward, what this point what? We regard no one according to the flesh. I'll just tell you, in the spirit world, there's not tall, short, fat, and skinny. In the real world, all of those exist. But we're not meant to see people according to the flesh. I remember in prison one time, you may remember this guy, Larry. We went one time and, and this guy had shaved his head. He had tattoos every, you remember this guy? Had tattoos every place that his hair went. All over his head. It was such a shock. Now I'm in prison. I'm not shocked by, I, I, they let me go every night, Okay. But I, I'm not really shocked by why they're in there, okay? Doesn't, doesn't shake me up, you know. I'm going home after all this is over. But when I saw that guy's tattoo, the first thing that entered my mind is, there's no wonder he's in prison. <laughs> he shaved his head and showed me his tattoo, and I thought that's the reason he's in prison. God asks us to live outside of fleshly recognition. That's how he deals with us. He doesn't talk to us as if we deserve these things. He deals with it. So your first principle of precept here is that, that God expects for us to live through our new creation identity. Don't, don't, don't miss this because if you do, you'll try and deal with your old person identity. Your old person identity brings all the stuff you once did that you thought made up you but don't make up you. See, I, not that 12-step programs can't help you and all that kind of stuff, but, but I just tell you, you're not recovering from anything. And you don't have to identify yourself. Hello, my name is Glenn. I'm a recovering control addict. I like to control stuff. Now listen, when you become born again, God, through Jesus Christ, is your controller. It's your choice, but God's going to talk to you through that guy. Not through the guy over here that's always trying to live outside of God's precepts. He's showing you his future. Now notice, we don't recognize anyone purely by the flesh in our scripture. So therefore, if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. That's the place. So here's your next quote. (coughs) God deals with us by speaking into our identity, our new creation identity. When we don't hear or understand, it's almost always, and I didn't put that in there because it made the quote so much longer, it's almost always an issue of wrong identity. If you say you don't hear God's voice, it's almost always an issue of wrong identity. You're listening through your humanness and you want to hear what would help your humanness. When is God going, you know, When is God going to to send the check through the mailbox that fixes my world? Now, that's your human identity that does those things. When is God going to remove all the pain from my life? Dead people don't experience pain. You're dead in Christ. You say, no, I'm not. Don't argue with God. 
Not me. It's not my idea. I've done my share of this where I basically resurrect my old guy through the emotional defibrillator. I want, I want, I want. Boom. You're alive. And we live by that non-created identity. I want, I want, I want. When God said, I'll satisfy you. I'll give you everything you've ever wanted. But what do we do? I can handle it, God. I'll do it. Just tell me what to do, but I'll do it. We do that through our own humanity. God doesn't deal with it. It is the hardest thing in the world to trust and be still. And yet, Isaiah tells us, be still and know that I am the Lord. I think if you're still first, you can understand it's the Lord. But what happens is we don't deal with our created new creation identity. We don't come through our new person. Amen? Look at the second precept. God expects, here, here you go, God expects for us to live through our hope, creating a now faith is moment. God expects us to, see, a lot of people think that we live through faith. No, we walk by faith. We live through hope. Faith causes us to see what we can't see. Hope gives us something to look at. Now, for, put up Hebrews 11, 1, please. Now faith is the substance of things what? Hoped for. So it gives us something to see. So when we can't see what God has provided for us, hope says, I, I really hope he's provided these things for us. And faith is what gives us the ability or literally provides the evidence of things not seen. Well, what's a thing not seen? It's something in your future. Are you tracking with me? So the second precept is that God expects for us to live through our hope. Most of us have never heard this because the church in general continues to focus on you got to have faith, you got to have faith, you got to have faith. I just want you to understand something. God will deal with you through the substance of your hope. That's what creates faith and brings a now faith is moment. Right? You don't live in the now faith is moment. It's created in your future by the hope you have. Are y'all, are y'all still with me? Okay, so let's do a little exercise. <clears throat> if I say to you, I have a dog. None of you likely thought D-O-G until now. I just put that in you. What you probably thought of was whatever color your dog that you're thinking about was. So maybe your dog was a black dog. Well, now your D-O-G turned into a black dog, even if your dog was a blonde-colored dog. Okay? You see what I'm saying? What happens is that as we start this thing, we produce... So I love little dogs. I know I'm a great big guy, but I love little dogs. And I like the fact that they just have attitudes. Right? I had a little miniature pincher before he went on to be with Jesus, even though, anyway. <laughs> and, and I bought him a spiked collar, this big around. He had, he had a little teeny, and I'm telling you, you come to our house, and that dog would pretend like he'd tear your arm off. He ran clear across the room one time to bite my wife because she bent down to kiss me. 
I was sitting downstairs in our house in Imperial, and, and, and uh, Tracy, I think I had one of my orthopedic surgeries, and so she was bringing me food. And I was sitting down there, and that dog loved me, and he was sitting right beside me, and she brought over the food, and he got up to see what he could have on my plate, and she bent down to kiss me, and that dog ran across my chest and bit her right in the cheek. No, 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 that was good, man. Way to go, dog. Man, I love sassy dogs like that. Now, I'm changing your opinion about dogs or, you know, what you think, what you see. You now have a little black dog with a spike collar in your head. I put that in your head. That's your future. You say, what do you mean that's my future? Whatever you think about consistently will produce your future. If you think about getting drunk and gallivanting around on Tuesday night because that's when the beer is the cheapest. I don't know if it is on Tuesday nights or not. Does anybody know if it is on Tuesday night the cheapest? (laughs) Tried to catch (laughs) you. So here's the point. I can put that in my future. I can take a precept, the order of my life, and when I don't use God, I'll use me. And I orchestrate my life according to how I see my future. That's what this is. Now faith is the substance. A substance is something that you can kind of touch and see. And so when you put the substance of hope in you, it gives your faith sight. You walk by faith. You're governed by hope. If you'll get this, you'll understand the precept of how you create your future in conjunction with what God has said to you. Does that make sense? If you want to walk in the future that God has for you, you're going to have to, first of all, be hopeful about what He said. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You've got to have a hope of that, right? Because if you're getting beat up every day, it doesn't seem like that works. And the next verse says that every tongue that rises up you shall condemn. Well, huh. So instead of listening to it and accepting it as your future, you say, no, that's not me. That's not me. Right? If you could teach this to your kids when that unthinking educator or something else happens where somebody tells them they're not a very good person and all that kind of stuff, and inside of your child rises up and says, no, that's not true. That's not who God's made me to be. You can get that when you're five years old. And by the way, if you'll start early when your kid still thinks they can fly. Right? I mean, honest. Man, children are built with this God-given imagination. Right? It needs a little governance, but man, we need to turn them loose. You ask, where's Ethan at? Oh, he's downstairs. If you ask Ethan about who he is, he will tell you himself he's healed. Won't he? He'll tell you he's healed. Now, we have a future designed by the hope that comes out of his mouth. Right? You say, well, shouldn't he have faith for that? Hope's what produces it. It's the evidence. That's where now faith is comes in. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Your hope creates a now faith is moment. That's your awesome future, by the way. It always amazes me that people want to see things from God based on their imaginary faith. They will tell 
People will come to me and they say, Pastor, I've gone to church a lot and I've prayed a lot. They're always telling me what they did. And, you know, I was praying for this and I didn't get it. I guess God's not real. Doesn't my faith work? Listen, your hope is goofy. You got, <laughs> Listen, your hope is the substance that your faith is based on. Nobody knows that but you. I have a hope. You don't know it. Want to know what my hope is? I hope before I lose my earthly eyesight and literally have to see you from the thing of heaven, I hope that you all are changed according to God's word. That's in your future. That's how I see you guys. Some of you got all kinds of problems. I mean, you got problems. You got so many problems that it looks like you got a tattoo on your forehead of your problems. I see you with a hope. Because it creates a now faith this moment. Right? Now, when that hope has such a substance that you can't do anything else, that's your now faith is moment. There have been times where I had a hope... And it was just percolating inside of me, you know, like this. And pretty soon it percolates so much that you find yourself where you say, wait a minute, I can actually see that. And you reach out in faith, right? Because faith is how you walk. Walk by faith, not by sight. You reach out in faith and take a hold of that thing. And all of a sudden you just had a now faith is moment. It's not every moment of your life is now faith is, but every moment of your life is produced by the hope in you that creates the now faith is moment. Are you all tracking with me? That's a precept of God. Most of us say, well, I just have to have faith. Well, I just want to tell you something. Faith is a gift. And so all the mental gymnastics that you're doing to build your faith, isn't what does it? Sorry. Well, I'm just going to create my faith. You'd be better off taking your hope, letting it become a substance, letting it percolate inside of you until you have a now faith this moment. I will tell you right now that you'll walk by that faith. It'll move you in life. Here's your last quote. God deals with us as if we can see what we can't naturally perceive. God deals with us as if we can see what we can't naturally. So when hope begins to develop in us, he creates this hope picture. And our faith, which is our sight in the spirit world, begins to see those things. And God speaks into what we can't naturally see. Because see, if you live in this world, you can naturally see some stuff, right? Have you ever looked into the world and thought that it wasn't going well? And you got all kinds of evidence. But hope starts to build in you. And I'll just tell you right now, Jesus and His Word are going to work mightily in our world. You say, well, what is terrible right now? It's because you're looking at the wrong stuff. You don't have any hope for your nation and for your world. The hope that God gives you as a substance will produce how you see things. So if you think we're all going to hell in a handbasket here, you're going to see that. And you'll get all freaked out. I had an incident with a leader recently, and he was absolutely beside himself with fear over somebody who was going to f- sue him for not having a bathroom for somebody who was confused. I can help you with that. 
I have hope. I'll just tell you right now, much of this craziness is going to just fall off the cliff of humanity. Because right now, it's everybody, you know, touchy-feely kind of stuff. Listen, God doesn't give you hope so you can turn somebody who doesn't know what sex they are into the sex they should be based on what the world says. Come on. I have hope that my grandsons and granddaughters will turn out to be awesome women and men of God and I have a now faith is moment for all of them. And they can't get away from it. And God's doing in their life right now what He needs so that they'll have hope for their future. You say, well, I wish they wouldn't have to go through stuff. You know, I got, I got three grandchildren... And now I have three grandchildren in the room. I'm not talking about them. Okay, so love them. They're precious in my sight. Touch them, you die. <laughs> Nonetheless, I have three grandchildren who have a mom who has a cancer. I have to teach them how to have a hope so they can have a now faith is so that when they're nine years old, this has already happened in our life, or I wouldn't be telling you this, so that when they're at nine years old and they have a now faith is and somebody says we're going to pray and they come out of their room and lay hands at nine years old. You might want that in your kids. You just might. Well, how do you do that? You speak hope into them so that they have a now faith is moment. Your now faith is moment won't fix your kids or your grandkids. See, you got to get it into them. You got to give them something to hope for. Why? Because it'll create faith. Their faith. Amen? Notice then, the third one. You get the first two. God deals with us through our new creation. And God deals with us through our hope. Most people think God deals with us through our faith. I personally believe that's wrong. Hope is way more important. Third precept. God expects for us to live through our belief... That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you can take that hope and turn it into a now faith this moment, you can also take that hope and say, wait a minute. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that our God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you start there. You start developing your picture by developing your hope. Right? It's hard to believe that God somehow rewards us in a world that seems to be full of nothing but trouble. But God rewards us. And look what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. Let me just turn there in my Bible. I, got, I tried to promise myself that I would stay calm. I was telling Jeremy the other day, stay calm about this. Telling Jeremy the other day, I said, I preached two or three messages. On I'm finally to the part that God told me to begin with. This is it. This is the one God told me. I went, I want to preach that. That is awesome. And God said, not yet. And I went, well, that's a dumb idea, God. We don't need any other stuff. But you see, without the foundation, you'll jump over and expect some sort of magic to happen. Well, I saw it in the Word. Well, okay, but it's, there's, a, there's a process because that's what precepts do. Precepts begin to show you, literally educate you on how God designs for things to go. 
You say, well, I know how God designs to go. It's all, you know, it's, it's all lemonade and punch for me, man. Just, everything comes in good. No, God designs to go that through the midst of the struggles that you have in the world, you develop hope so you see it differently, see it according to Him, so that then when you have a now faith moment, it moves things and your evidence becomes seen. Amen? Now notice, if you would, in Hebrews chapter 11, look at the sixth verse. It says, but without faith, it is impossible... To please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently seek him is one word in the original language. And it literally means the investigation earnestly or to investigate earnestly to obtain. It means to look close so you can grab a hold of something. When he says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, he's saying, listen, investigate this closely so you can grab a hold of it. What's he trying to show us? What to take a hold of. You get over here and the stuff of God technically exists in an invisible world. And in that invisible world, what God's trying to say is reach out with your invisible hands and grab a hold in the invisible world and bring that back in and take possession of it. He expects for us to live expecting a reward. Now, listen, God is opposed to earning. He's not opposed to effort. God's opposed to earning. You can't earn this stuff from God. But he expects you to diligently seek after it. Does that make sense? Yeah, you don't just sit there, you know, well, I'm going to sit back because the pastor said that God said... First of all, if that's how you approach God, you're like the seven sons of Sceva and somebody's leaving your room nude and bruised. Because that's what happened. Remember that story? Demonically oppressed guy. And they went in and they said, I challenge you through Jesus Christ whom Paul preaches. And that guy jumped on, that one guy jumped on those seven sons. And they, the Bible says they left bruised and naked. What does that mean? They were hurt and embarrassed. See, you can't do this on my faith. You'll, you'll be hurt and embarrassed. Because a devil will turn you inside out. Why? Because you're not trusting in, in God. You're trusting in your pastor. You trust in me and I'm telling you what. You'll be bruised and embarrassed. The devil will beat you up. You say, how do you know that? Because I've done it. I grew up in the faith movement, and every one of those people had more faith than me. And they taught me, if you just have faith. And I thought, well, I don't know how to do this, but I'm spending every day, all day, trying to find faith, trying to build my faith. If they, if they say they've got a good series of, come on, just stay with me, good series of cassette tapes, I'll buy that series of cassette tapes. And I'll, I'll chew that up, and I'll buy a new Bible, and I'll do everything. And then I found out faith was a gift. <laughs> So all this time I was looking for something that I already had that I hadn't unwrapped. You unwrap it by hope. What God gives you in your future. That make sense? So notice it says then, it's impossible to please Him without faith. The faith has to be developed by the process of hope becoming a reality. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Your hope becomes a reality in your spirit man. From that point, it produces sight 
so that your spirit can affect your soul and your flesh. You'll literally see what God provided for you. That's how I can look at you with all your warts and wrinkles and say, I know that God has a future plan for you. I see you free. I see you living after God's word. I see you mighty in God. I see you affecting your neighborhood. Many of you will affect your old friends because you can't hang with them anymore. Because they'll lead you in the wrong direction because that's how you got here. Amen. You say, well, I didn't know that. Yes, you did. You just didn't want to believe it. Your hope was that you could live in both worlds. Listen, you can go over here and your hope can be, well, you know, that pastor, he's one wild dude on Sunday mornings, but on, he doesn't know what I go through all week at my work. So on Friday night, when I go to the, when I go to the, to the Coors Light Emporium, slam down five or six of them, and then I pick up a six-pack and a bag of Oreos, and I go home. And I drink six more. The, your hope is in that helping you. If you bury your present in a drug, alcohol, sex, pornography-induced stupor, your hope is that will help. You're creating a future where this thing doesn't help. It actually hinders, it actually hurts. You end up crushed by your hope. Do you see that? That's why without faith, it's impossible to please him. Why? Because to please him, you've got to walk in what he's provided for you. God desires so desperately for you to walk in what he's provided for you. And we say, well, I'm going to do that, but can I ever just have a little bit of fun? You can have all the fun you want. Knock yourself out. But I'll tell you that fun is seeing the invisible and receiving what God you know, God's got more stuff for you than you can imagine. The Bible says he'll, he'll give to you, press down, shaking together, running over. He says he can give it to you more than you ever imagined. He says, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, knows into the heart of man what God has provided for those who love him. I'm telling you what, he's got some stuff for you, exceedingly, abundantly, over and above. You can even dare, you say, well, yeah, but I don't see that. Well, that's because you're, you're going at it from the wrong. Get over here. I'm telling I got some hope over here. Tracy and I got in ministry thinking that we'd probably graduate from ministry being poor. I thought, well, that's a dumb idea. So before we had anything, I began to develop a hope that we would be able to retire. When I, when I start drooling, I'll be done. Okay, We'll be able to retire with money in the bank, not having to depend on the graciousness of all you people because we didn't plan God put a hope in my, in my life that, that I could plan. So Tracy and I started planning. In the 1990s, we started planning. 30 years ago, we started planning. We got a hope. See, I'm not governed by the bad economy that you all freak out about. God started my economy 35, 40 years ago. Because I have hope. I can see myself. See, I don't even want to say that, God. I just, I don't know why God does that. I can see myself with money for my children's children. By the way, that's in the Bible. See, you didn't know it was in the Bible because you can't see yourself having enough money for you. 
Can you imagine how much better our world would be if we all believed in that instead of leaving our inheritance, whatever it is, to our children? I mean, let's, let's say that, that you die at 80 years old. Or how, I'm sorry, they're older people. Um, you, you die at 100 years old because we, we got some 90-year-old people in here. And they didn't figure out they were supposed to die at 80. They're still here. That's because God has a use for them. Anyway, let's, let's just say you die at 100. How old are your children? 80. How old are your grandchildren? They better have their stuff in order at 60. How old are their children? 40. Now we're getting somewhere. Because at 40, some of you are still stupid. Well, how? okay. At 20, some of you proved your stupidness. Well, what if some grandfather or great-grandfather was speaking in you and say, Listen, get your ducks in a row because when I die... You get my apple stock. You see, none of you know what that means. If you put $10,000 in apple stock in 2005, it'd be worth $75,000 today. You want my apple stock? If you put more than that in, it's worth more than that. What's my point? If you start early sharing your hope, you'll paint a picture in your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren's, and they'll have a now faith this moment. It'll change our world. Let me give you the fourth one before I get all wound up. Did, did you put up that last quote, the, the third quote, Jeremy? I don't know if I did that. God deals with us if we're always looking for the reward in our diligence. God is not surprised like you are when you trip over what he rewards you with. You're walking through life, trip over something, go, wow, who put this here? God did. You should have noticed it before you fell down. Right? Because why? He's putting stuff in your future. He's providing. That's why it's provision before sight. You'll get that later. Number four, God expects us to live through heavenly math. This one will wreck you. Because the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, in verse 13, this one thing I do, forgetting and reaching forward. How many things is that? Forgetting, reaching forward. How many things is that? See, the right answer is one. The answer you do is two. And so you reach forward with all your might, but you take the suitcase of your past with you. And you never get the future God promises because you turned two things into two things instead of two things into one. God said, shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave unto the, unto the wife, and the two shall become one. No more shall they be two, but they shall be one. How many people in your marriage? One. When you can't see that, you'll, you'll live with selfish ambition to get what you want is right. Are you seeing this? Yeah. Hallelujah. What are the quotes there? Look, put up that quote about Philippians 4, 3, would you please there? I am consistently, I'm sorry, Jeremy, I, I know. I tried my best to get this just in me and out of me. And 
here's, here's the one for your future reaching forward. I'm consistently amazed at how my today is affected by carrying my yesterday. Forgetting those things that, that, that are behind and reaching forward for today. So if you, can't, if you can't let go of this, you can't effectively get a hold of this. Put up the marriage one, please. Maybe the next one. I'm consistently amazed at how marriage oneness is affected by single thinking. You've got to change. You've got to renew your mind. Or you'll think like a single person. And by the way, single people, they really like their stuff. They, they live single. Everything's really important. Single, single, single. They're selfish. Put up just the, the clear to the last one. I'm going to, I'm probably going to have to touch this again, people of God. I, I can tell by the way some of you are responding that, that you never had this thing that, that I tried to teach on hope. You always had that faith thing. That's what you were working on. But you never magnified the hope. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, it says, hope is the anchor of the soul. Hope is what keeps us. And you know, hope can get, I mean, if we see the anchor, I don't know how many have ever seen an anchor. But if an anchor's been in the water very much, it's clear covered with barnacles and rust. I mean, hope does not look pretty, but it'll hold you still in a storm. Right? I mean, it just doesn't, sometimes it's just crusty. You think, I've been hoping for this for a long time. Yeah, get it lined up with the Word of God and watch what God does with it. Oh, I was right. Thank you, Jeremy. Put up that last quote. Let's end with this. Come on, music team, come up here. I'm going I'm to stop because I, I, I want you so desperately to get this that, you know, you may not want to come back to church next week and hear almost the same message. Um, but I, I really would like for you to come back because I want you to see what it looks like in God's amazing future. Our future is largely determined by our understanding of His precepts. Those things governing how He wants things to be ordered. That'll help you. Our future is determined by our understanding of His precepts. How He wants things ordered. If you'll put things in order His way, you'll get His results. Amen? Did you learn? Did your head explode? Hopefully not. If it did, gather it all back up and come back next week. Okay? Or literally, get on the internet and listen to this again or 12 more times until God gets in you that the important thing that we can do about the future is to magnify what God's put in us as hope. See, that, I mean, it'll help you in healing. It'll help you in finances. It'll help you in relationships. It'll help you in everything. If you'll just take the hope. No one hopes for terrible things to happen. We all hope for the good things. I hope my wife loves me for the next, you know, 50 years. Well, get a picture of that. Because what this hope does is it creates a now faith is. And that now faith is in marriage will create in you, the person who got the hope for, will create in you the image of Jesus Christ that you'll deal with your spouse through. And all of a sudden you go, well, that was easy. Why? Because you lived like Jesus did in your marriage. You get that hope over here in your finances and you say, oh, I can see it, God. I can see that you planned for me. You know, Jesus was only poor for six hours on the cross. Jesus had so much money that he had a treasure secretary who was, who, who was crooked. Judas was carrying the money. 
He's crooked. He had a cloak, a, a coat that didn't have any seams in it. Go ahead, look at your clothes. They weren't woven just for you. They were cut for somebody average like you. That's why you give them a waist size and the length of your leg. And they build a pair of pants that will fit everybody who's about your size. But they weren't built for you. Jesus had clothes that were built for him. Sewn out of a single piece of fabric. So much so that the, the crooked Roman guards gambled to get it. He was not poor except when he was on the cross. And the Bible says in Corinthians, he became poor so that we might become rich. Now don't be saying, oh good, I'm going to have a sack full of money. Listen, if you've got a sack full of money, it's only because God can trust to get it through you. And pretty soon you'll write big checks. It's just zeros, people of God. It's just zeros. You can write a $10 check, you can write a $100 check. If you can write a $100 check, you can write a $1,000 check. If you can write a $1,000 check, you can write a $10,000 check. And if you can write a $10,000 check, you can write a $100,000 check. You want me to keep going? It's just the difference of a zero. Your church has given away several hundred thousand dollar gifts. You can write those checks. Where'd you get that money, Pastor? <laughs> we stole it from you. <laughs> well, that's how you think. You gave it willingly to God, and God said to us, hey, do this for your people. Because you get the benefit, right? You're, not, you're looking for the reward, aren't you? You get the reward when your family does something big or something little for that matter your water treatment plants that you paid for are now at, Roma at, at uh, uh, Ukrainian churches and whole communities are coming to the church to get water because before Samaritan's Purse knew what they were doing two churches us and a church in Washington State gave money to provide all of those water treatment plants they didn't know what they were going to do with them but somebody, spoke, God spoke and said, give that. And that was in like, I don't remember when it was, September. We gave ours towards the end of that time. And the other church gave their money in, in January. And Russia invaded Ukraine in February. We now know what we're doing. Isn't that a surprise? Because God was planning the future. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for teaching us by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.